0: You, 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 you know ID ID in the DNA all day. ID ID in the DNA FA. You, you know ID ID in the DNA all day. ID ID in the DNA SEA. It's time. Let's remember 2013 sponsored by our friends at Poliacci Pizza.
1: Because Poliacci are champions and so are the Seahawks in 2013. But before then, There's more important news that happened in the year 2013.
0: Okay, so the most important thing that happened in 2013. Yes. The debut of the Fabulous Pelton cast. And we have a clip from the opening episode. (laughs) The sound quality, it's not great. We were literally recording it on my phone back then.
1: Hello and welcome to the
0: inaugural edition of the Fabulous Pelton cast. I'm uh, Kevin Pelton, one of your co-hosts here, a... NBA analyst for ESPN
1: Insider and Seattle sports fan, and uh, with me is my brother Tristan, and that's Tristan Carcino. Uh not to be confused. I started as a Pelton and then became a Carcino, Uh when I was older. That sounds really weird. But anyway, Tristan, Tristan Carcino, nay, Pelton. You had
0: actually sent me an email or a G-chat earlier, I looked this up, and said, do you know how to record a podcast? And I was like, well, no.
1: Still don't. <laughs> oh,
0: I think we've learned a thing or two in the last seven years. Good sir.
1: Not that much. Um, uh, hello?
0: I mean, the origin of the podcast is like you. This wasn't in the chat transcripts. It must have been in phone conversations. But you bugging me to do a podcast.
1: For a long time, I feel like we, we had the idea way before this that we wanted Did to we? record a podcast. It it took months to come along. <laughs> this
0: this could be told from the uh, the quality of the production on that first episode. The <laughs> there was a, there was really a we lot talked
1: of, a lot more about content than we did about recording.
0: There was a lot of fantasy talk back then, and a lot of tailgating. talk.
1: we imagined. I mean, you know, things evolve over time. That's that's the good thing. You you, you listen to what people are interested in, what you're interested in talking about, and things evolve. Uh, And then you do Mariner's hot
0: takes. (laughs) Still a highlight. Well, anyways, part of the reason
1: it was mostly about we were having these conversations basically every day, every couple of days or whatever. I'd be driving home from work or whatever. or We'd be talking and just talking about sports in general that are happening around us. And a lot of those conversations did fixate on fantasy and still do. Sometimes it's more like, we just don't talk about the general sports stuff that we talk about here, but during football season, we'll talk about fantasy while we're just talking to each other. Um, and it was like, you know, as we do still every conversation, we're like, this is gold. (laughs) Save it for the (laughs) pod. We're like, this is such great content. Other people need to hear this content. Uh, And then decided to record it, and you happen to have a bit of a platform as an ESPN writer, happened to have a bit of a platform. Uh, And here we are today, including in 2014, are we going to talk about the end of the Pelton cast?
0: (laughs) I'm still not sure what to say there. (laughs)
1: our year-and-a-half-long year feud because of fantasy football. Two-and-a-half-year. Our two-and-a-half-year-long two feud because of fantasy football.
0: So part of the reason we were so excited to do a podcast in 2013, we talked about this last week. This is the most excited we've ever been about the Seattle Seahawks. That, that summer of 2013, leading up to the 2013 season, the Seahawks... After going, you know, having the number one DVOA during Russell Wilson's rookie year, losing at Atlanta at the buzzer, then go out and add Cliff Avril, who we just talked about earlier, is still a fixture in the Seattle community, and Michael Bennett oh, as free God. agents to this team. That also was the year that I added Percy Harvin, right?
1: Absolutely it is.
0: I remember the Percy Harvin, I was on a flight. I was getting ready to fly to... I guess I must have been going to the Sloan Conference at that point. And I remember going to the – mini. I was flying through Minneapolis. I was connecting there. So I went through the uh, – like was looking in the team store at Percy Harvin Vikings gear that they still had there because they hadn't gotten rid of it yet.
1: This was definitely an offseason where, you know, in the NFC – not championship game uh, – in the NFC division round game against the Falcons, the pass rush – you know, Bruce Irvin was super young. Uh They had, oh my God, pass rusher got injured. Chris Clemens. Chris Clemens had gotten injured it,
0: it in was the never Washington.
1: Quite the same. In 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 the week beforehand. Uh,
0: nothing was the same, I should say, for 2013.
1: There we go. Thank you. And it felt like, it, in hindsight, this is a very Seahawks thing to do, but at the time they were really good at it. <laughs> there, there are years that they've been not so good at this where they're like, we have a problem we need to over-address it and pass rush is really not a problem that you can ever over-address and they managed to go out and find value in two pass, relatively young pass rushers that is something that is just not that easy to do and that they managed to do it twice with I mean, Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill.
0: The rest of the NFL screwed up Let's be clear. They messed up, and it was to the Seahawks' benefit.
1: Yeah, but the, I, sure. The Seahawks went out and found value. I mean, they, they did go out this past offseason and pick up Jedevian Clowney for very little. But, like, they locked up Averill and Bennett for multi-year contracts at these low numbers. Wait, were it
0: they multi-year contracts?
1: Incredible. I think they were both at least two-year contracts. Huh. I feel like
0: they re-signed those guys pretty quickly or extended them pretty quickly.
1: It it was a coup that you would have it. it, And also, just like the rest, like you mentioned, the rest of the NFL fucking up.
0: (laughs) One year, year five million for Michael Bennett.
1: Okay, so then they re-upped him after that first year. Yeah, It's still a relatively good number. Yes.
0: Uh, Cliff Avril did get two years, 15 million.
1: God, that is absurd. Yeah. that they got those players for those numbers. It's but the rest the and They, they really also
0: had like so much cast space because they had Russ as a starting quarterback making peanuts.
1: Letting letting the best defense in the NFL go out and sign Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett. And they just came in fully tooled. Like, this team, they didn't need Percy Harvin, but they just went and got Percy Harvin because fuck it. It was really the mentality, I think, at the time. And we've seen teams do this, and it didn't, this particular transaction didn't work out for the Seahawks. Uh, they managed to win the Super Bowl, so it doesn't matter, but we've seen it over and over and over again where teams say to themselves, This is our window. We need to do everything we can do in this particular time period. And if it means going out and giving up future draft capital, we have got to go and make sure we win a Super Bowl this year. And, I mean, Percy Harvin scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl.
0: (laughs) We'll get there. So the Seahawks opened the season with a 12-7 win at Carolina, really kind of a prototypical Seahawks-Panthers game. We didn't know it yet at that point. That was the one where – who's the guy who scored the touchdown? For the Seahawks? Yeah. Hmm. It was it was a receiver who had had a big training camp. We were very excited about him. They threw like it was like back to back deep shots to the end zone. The first one, Curse couldn't come up with, and Stephen no, it wasn't Stephen Williams, I guess.
1: Oh, maybe I'm misremembering. I want to call before David. Oh,
0: maybe Stephen Williams didn't come up with it, and then Curse did because it was Curse scored the touchdown. Stephen Williams, yeah, Stephen
1: Williams was the guy. I I did not expect to have forgotten a player. (laughs) <laughs> who was playing on the Super Bowl team? Steven Williams.
0: I mean, he didn't last that entire season.
1: Also did not have a catch in that game.
0: No, it was I got it, had it backwards. Curse was the one who caught the touchdown. They threw the deep ball to Williams. He didn't catch it. Then they threw the deep ball to Curse. He did catch it. So the next week they come home to play for the second consecutive time, the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday night football. A game Interrupted by lightning, but not interrupted by a San Francisco touchdown.
1: <laughs> oh, we knew what was up. Like, the, the, it was a fun game, and it was a huge game, but we just we were unconcerned with the Niners at that point. I, I, what? Unconcerned with the Niners? It, it was like, after, after what we'd done to the Niners the previous year, it was like, they are not coming into this house and winning. It's just not happening.
0: And now you're going to make me go dig up the audio of our preview for that game and see what you said about chances of victory. I guarantee you it wasn't
1: 100%. Wow, Russell's uh, only 8 of 19. We was, just, the defense destroyed them.
0: It was a 5 nothing game at halftime. Uh, then the Seahawks scored a 24, outscored the 49ers 24-3 to in the
1: second half. Colin Kaepernick, nine carries for 87 yards. Uh
0: He always picked apart the Seahawks on the ground. That was also the year. That year, because the Packers, so he had had the game where he had the read option in 2012. He had playoffs. He had had the read option and just destroyed the Packers. And they spent literally the entire Mm preseason, like off season, preparing for the read option. And then Kaepernick came out and uh, just threw the ball all over them the next year. It was a really like one of the high points of Colin
1: Kaepernick's career. I feel like the. This game, though, so th- there have been two times that I've evacuated seats because of lightning. The f- the, this was the first time. The other time, obviously, was this last year, um, the UW game against Cal that went until three in the morning. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, this lightning storm didn't last for that long. It Everybody- lasted
0: the perfect amount of time because people got to watch the Breaking Bad Ozymandias episode. I'm probably <laughs> blowing that pronunciation.
1: I-, I was at the game, but did not get I to watch not that.
0: I but people at home
1: uh, but we all walked out to. The, it was just like everybody evacuated to the corridor. We all went to the corridors at night game. We were probably drinking pretty heavily, and we went hung out for a little bit, and then went back to our seats and saw the Seahawks destroy the Niners. It was a great time. The Seahawks <laughs> really really up
0: with a forty-five seventeen win over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Week four, they head to Houston for a test against Matt Schaub and the Houston Texans. At <laughs> that point, they should have lost this game. Really. <laughs> They really should have. A game they were trailing 20-3 uh, at halftime and 20-6 to, to after three quarters. But Richard Sherman's 58-yard touchdown return off an interception off the Matt Schaub rollout on third down uh, ties the game, and the Seahawks go on to win it in overtime.
1: Now, is this the week we recorded the first-ever cast?
0: No, it was between week one and week two.
1: Really? Yeah. Really? Huh. I had always thought it was right after that Texas game. Nope.
0: Oh. Yeah, it was a third and fourth They decided to try and throw it. It did not go well. Uh, the Seahawks then suffered their first loss at Indianapolis, a game <sighs> they led early.
1: And a game that I'm still upset about, that loss.
0: I mean, when is Russ going to get his chance to beat Andrew Luck? God. Then they ran off seven consecutive wins midseason. A few highlights from that. The 14-9 Monday Night Football win at St. Louis with a goal-line stand on the final play in an 80-yard touchdown by Golden Tate. Then they come back from a 21 nothing deficit versus the Mike Glennon-led Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Woodless Mike Glennon-led Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Was there a jump pass in overtime. that game,
1: or is this a different one?
0: Remember a jump pass in that one. And then another highlight, the 34-7 Monday Night Football demolition of the New Orleans Saints.
1: And That, that was... <clears throat> one of the biggest days in seattle sports history right
0: yes that was the same day that steve sarkisian resigned as UW head coach to take the job at usc and we'll get to in a moment
1: such a good day it was <laughs> a
0: very good day
1: <laughs> like having that and it seems like the seahawks are always playing big monday night games uh when important moments happen in seattle sports but We talked
0: about it when Coach Pete stepped down. It was literally the exact same scenario. It was the same
1: day. Pretty crazy.
0: Also a Monday. Also the Seahawks played on Monday Night Football.
1: Me and Chris Smith going to your house to record the Cast, apparently on speakerphone. Uh, (laughs) I I think that was our first ever emergency pod, right?
0: Well, it was our first emergency pod. So we'd done a post-game pod after the Monday Night Football St. Louis game
1: did we really? God, that game was terrible
0: yep that's why we've forgotten that we did a podcast about it
1: (laughs) I mean, I remember sitting there and watching the game at your house you and me and Chris Smith again, watching that game at your house and just being like man, maybe this team isn't that good (laughs) or being like, we know the defense is good but maybe the team in general is not that good Uh,
0: the Seahawks' seven game winning streak was snapped on December 8th when they went to San Francisco to face the 49ers uh, a big Kaepernick keeper on third and seven. They essentially just ran a sweep with him. God. Set up Phil Dawson's winning field goal with 31 seconds left on that one.
1: Man, I'm still so frustrated about all of these losses.
0: <laughs> I'm over them. Uh, the next week was kind of the, deb- it was the debut of Nostra Tristan. Really? This, this clip.
1: How many interceptions do you think the Seahawks get this week? I feel like two. Four. Four! Four interceptions.
0: Wow! Okay, so Eli did not throw four interceptions in that game. He threw five interceptions. There we the go. the Seahawks won
1: 23 to nothing. God, that game was so fun. When you kept throwing picks.
0: I vaguely recall, I, I did not go back to listen to the podcast about this. There was some like local... Uh, car dealership that did a promotion based on Seahawks interceptions or Seahawks deep. If the Seahawks got a shutout in that game, well, they had to get their ta- then, well with them.
1: their chest tattooed. Um, <laughs> uh, that, that game was so fun. I think we watched it at my ha- my old house. Uh, it's just two thousand. Yeah, uh, yeah, we watched it at my old house, and just seeing Eli throw pick after pick after pick. And get so frustrated. Like th- This defense was incredible.
0: Not good enough to present the Seahawks, prevent the Seahawks from their annual home loss to the Arizona Cardinals by a 17-10 final on December 22nd. At least they could not ruin Christmas Eve that year. Still, the Seahawks clinched the number one seed with a 27-9 win <sighs> over St. Louis in the finale.
1: So that Cardinals game, did we drive up from Portland right beforehand? I'm pretty sure that's what happened. It seems plausible. And then I think you dropped me off. I know you dropped me off at the stadium and it was, it's up there with, we've talked about this many times. One of the worst football games I've ever been to.
0: <laughs> we were pretty concerned about the Seahawks offense at that point. And they didn't start well against St. Louis the next week. Uh, that game, it was seven, nothing Seahawks on a Malcolm Smith interception return until deep into the second quarter. They did not score a touchdown until 221 left in the third, but uh, uh, the defense was still good enough that they were able to comfortably defeat the Rams.
1: When the defense, I, don't, I haven't pulled up the old DVOA for this year. The defense was significantly better than the offense for the season, right? Uh, I
0: don't know if it was significantly better. It was probably better. The Seahawks were number one, of course, in defensive DVOA. They were seventh that year in offensive DVOA. Okay, all right, yeah, that, that qualifies it significantly. Okay, so in the division round, the Seahawks hosted once again the New Orleans Saints. Beat them 23-15 in <laughs> a game that wasn't that close. They led sixteen to nothing entering the fourth quarter, and twenty three eight with two forty left before a late touchdown by the Saints. That one was notable. Percy Harvin working back into the lineup; he'd missed much of, nearly all of the regular season, really, due to injury, uh, and scored a touchdown in this one, I believe.
1: Yeah, I, I remember so I vividly the three losses that year, but this playoff game—it's kind of just gone.
0: I I remember watching it.
1: <clears throat> uh, the. Sat- so, this was on a Sunday, right?
0: No, Saturday. Okay, so yeah. this was
1: on a Saturday. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> I remember. Are the that, of options. There was a night before this happened where I thought to myself, I was, it was like the Friday night before this first playoff game. And I don't know why I had this thought. It was just, you know, sometimes you think outlandish things. And I was like, maybe I was sick or something. And I was like, I really hope that I don't die right now because I don't want to miss the Seahawks winning their first Super Bowl. And I remember laying there like laying on our old leather kind of gross couches being like, I'm going to die three weeks before the Seahawks win their first Super Bowl. And there was no there was no lack of confidence that the Seahawks were going to win the Super Bowl. I knew that that was happening. I did not know that I wasn't going to die in those three weeks. That was I was much more unsure about.
0: Your chances of victory are way higher in hindsight. Although I guess every year you do boldly predict the Seahawks are going to win the Super Bowl and play the Steelers and the. Uh, <laughs> the, <stand opener. laughs> uh, the Seahawks hosted the Forty ers in the NFC Championship game. It was the only way it had to happen. Even though <sighs> the Forty ers were a wild card, inevitably that year. Uh, after they played after the Broncos had beat the Patriots in the AFC championship game earlier that afternoon Seahawks trailed 10 three at halftime in 1713 entering the fourth quarter before shortly after the quarter break even Houshka <sighs> tells Pete Carroll he the field goal was too long for him they come out for the fourth down and throw a touchdown pass to who else but Jermaine curse you have no thoughts on that play. It it was great. (laughs) It was like an offside. Russ just throws it up and Curse runs it. What a great play. So everyone always forgets the wild sequence midway through the fourth quarter. Curse fumbles at the one with the Seahawks trying to go up by 10 points at that point. Uh Or or 11, I guess. Uh, Navarro Bowman forces the fumble but suffers a torn ACL and MCL on the play. Yeah.
1: A horrific Marsha,
0: Yeah, it really was never... That, also, nothing was the same for, for Navarro Bowman, unfortunately. Marshawn Lynch recovers the fumble. Seahawks go for it on fourth and one. Russell Wilson sneaks oh,
1: and fumbles. God. We didn't because, know yet. We didn't know. Yeah.
0: We probably should have done. Only for Cam Chiatzler to pick off Kaepernick two plays later. The Seahawks added a Stephen Hauschka field goal for a 23-17 lead, setting up the final drive all or nothing for the 49ers. They move the ball to first and 10 at the Seahawks' 18 with 30 seconds left. And that's when the tip happens.
1: So, it was, Most important most important play in Seattle sports history. Yeah, we've, we've, we've
0: made that agreement just,
1: previously. Just, <laughs> I don't think... Really having that happen in front of us in the end zone, right in front of where our seats are seeing the tip happen. And you're like, Oh, that's a great tip. And then all of a sudden Malcolm Smith is there to pick it off and the game is over. Like uh, (laughs) we're going to the Super Bowl. It is unlike any sport experience that I've ever had beforehand. Like this elation that you have.
0: Unlike any post game podcast.
1: (laughs) Are you running a clip from this? Oh, God. And we've got a special guest with us here tonight. I might be slurring because we are in the alley between First Avenue and some train tracks after the Seahawks have advanced to the Super Bowl. And our special guest is...
0: Christopher Smith. And that thing is the Port of Seattle, is what you were talking about. Interesting. That is the Port of Seattle. Uh, (laughs) I
1: might say some incorrect things. Well, I just slurred there. (laughs) Incorrect things. I have been drinking since 11 a.m.
0: Oh, boy. So the Seahawks face the Broncos. It's a matchup of the number one defense versus the number one offense in the Super Bowl. And as much as you say you were 100% confident, you definitely were not anywhere near that in terms of chances of victory for the Super Bowl. Like, this was a legitimately scary game against Peyton Manning and the Broncos. Oh,
1: I mean, I thought it would come down to the Seahawks were up, and
0: there was going to be a
1: Manning drive. I mean... (laughs) This game should have been... I mean, you look at this DVOA for the year. Like, the Broncos were... The Seahawks were the best team in the league, but the Broncos weren't far off.
0: And that DVOA includes the Super Bowl, which swung things pretty considerably.
1: Yeah. The the way that they manhandled the Broncos' offense in this game. Like, I, I think...
0: Well, you had a take on it at the time.
1: Oh, God. So I think we buried the lead here, which is... We just won the Super Bowl. That happens. Yes.
0: That's the thing. This is real life right now. It really is.
1: If this is a dream, I haven't woken up from it yet. Probably the greatest defensive performance in NFL history. I mean, that's a bold claim, but when Wait. you talk about the
0: number one, arguably the number one offense of all time, holding it to eight points, creating as many turnovers as the Seahawks defense did, scoring more points on defense than the Broncos scored on offense,
1: yeah, there we go. I stand by it. I'm sure that there, there might have been better defensive performances, but this was the best offense by DVA by a pretty significant margin.
0: It's one of the best of all time. and It started from the opening play with the Seahawks coming up with the safety, although that, was, that wasn't really anything they did. That was just Denver yeah. screw-up. The Seahawks scored 36 points unanswered before the Broncos only score in the final play of the third quarter. And it was... Kind of close until Malcolm Smith's interception return for a touchdown with 321 left in the second. And then Percy Harvitt returning the opening kick of the second half for a touchdown uh, the day after getting into a fist fight with, was it tucker Golden Tate?
1: Golden Tate. Yeah.
0: That turned it into a route. Jermaine out added the touchdown because, of course, he did. He only scores touchdowns in the Super Bowl.
1: Because uh, I pred- I predicted it in week
0: in the in our bowl, in our uh, 2014 preview, uh, and Peyton Manning 2014 preview. What our, our year in review 2014 bold predictions?
1: No, we didn't do that. This was the first year of the Pelton cast.
0: Yeah, we did them in December 2013.
1: Oh, I I thought I predicted it when we chose to sponsor
0: Jermaine Chris's Jer- football page yeah. page. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have to review the tapes here.
1: I'm pretty sure that we we chose as the Pelton Cast to sponsor Jermaine curses the only bit of advertising we've ever done as the Pelton Cast, and
0: um, and we screwed it up because we we let it lapse. We weren't podcasting at the time. The Pro Football Reference stopped doing sponsorships. All the sports reference pages did, and the ones that are up there are up there
1: in perpetuity. We could have oh! just been up there forever. God, we could have been on the curse page forever. Yeah. Oh. Curse.
0: So then, then we go to the parade it's very cold at the parade
1: don't don't forget we already talked last week about <laughs> listening to kendrick after the game but this this was a south side party unlike any other
0: it after was, the this we,
1: we we immediately had we watched the game at katie's in fairwood uh, and there were quite a few of us there we all sat around recorded an emergency podcast drinking skittles related cocktails because that was a thing you did in 2013. It was normal at the time. Uh, and then so it was Im- the style of the time. Immediately had to go seek out whatever party was happening in SeaTac. Uh, and I think it, was, it might have even been in Des Moines. Uh, and <clears throat> then we were taking, uh, hits off the half cheesy. <laughs> a South Side Shot, which is a pull straight from the half GZ well-listening to Money Trees by Kendrick Lamar, there could not be a more perfect day. That's it. Uh, Number also, one day.
0: Also, you had a child born in 2000. No, that was in 2000.
1: That was in 2012.
0: <laughs> it, was, it was in 2014, the next one.
1: <clears throat> yes. I, I know what their birthdays are. <laughs> we didn't talk about it in the 2012 podcast
0: we, we never did get around to baby fantasy Jesus' arrival on the scene
1: his birth I was so hyped about the control verse coming you know <laughs> the Seahawks pending Super Bowl the control verse who, who has time to talk about their first child being born Our
0: 2013 was also a big year for UW football which won it's most games since 2000 they beat some coach named Chris Peterson, in number nineteen Boise State, thirty-eight to six in the second consecutive game between those two teams, and the first at the renovated Husky Stadium. I mean,
1: uh, you say that like we didn't like Chris Peterson was an unknown coach. I know he was obviously a known commander. <laughs> okay, because we we knew and liked Chris Peterson at the time.
0: Yeah, we just didn't know at the time that he was going to, within months, be the head coach. Yes. It was it was unclear at that point. You were very anti Chris Peterson's coaching effort in that game.
1: It was bad. I mean, it was a, they coached a bad game, Boise State, and I'm sure there were times that it probably reflected his coaching at UW. But
0: they and Keith Price, 320, 324 yards in that one.
1: He knew he was coming here. <laughs>
0: If you really didn't know that during the 2012 Las Vegas Bowl, Huskies then beat Illinois 34-24 in Chicago, beat Arizona in their Pac-12 opener to improve to 4-0 before losing back-to-back at number 5 Stanford, a 31-28 loss when a 4th-and-10 completion to Kevin Smith was overturned
1: on replay by referee Land Clark. Speaking of games that I'm still upset about, like I can put myself so upset about in one. that exact moment sitting at Katie's. It was late. It was Pac-12 after dark fucking lan clark like i think lan clark may have ended up being a fairly okay college referee but like that that he caught that ball
0: and then they lost 45 24 versus marcus Mariota in number two oregon
1: was that this was the game the stanford game? game i'm not over that stanford game it was ty montgomery we couldn't cover a kickoff and Ty Montgomery kept taking those kickoffs. I mean, if if you would have asked me in that moment who should be the number one pick in the draft, I was like, Ty Montgomery, easy. When the Seahawks didn't draft him, I was just like, huge mistake. Well, like, they drafted <laughs> Tyler Lockett instead, right? <laughs> did they really? They drafted Tyler Lockett so. the year after they won the Super Bowl? No.
0: No, you're right, because Kristen Michael was their first pick that year. Well, Ty Montgomery wasn't a senior. I think Ty Montgomery did oh, come Oh, it was for two years year.
1: later. Okay. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, and little did we know that he was going to be a running back in the NFL.
1: I, they could they could not cover Ty Montgomery on these kickoffs, and they had no answer for it. That's why they lost that game. It was so inf- like I don't think I've been more upset watching a football game. There have been a few Husky games, but this was one where it's like we were a better team than Stanford that year, and should have know, won that game.
0: I, I don't know if I would go that far. I think that was just a shitty game for Stanford. I think they were still a very good team. Uh, if
1: he makes that catch, we're winning the game, too. I'm fully convinced if they if they call that a completion, we're winning that they game.
0: Had, they had moved the ball more on that drive than I thought they had. Yeah, they finished 11-3 that season and went to the Rose Bowl. <laughs> so I don't know that I agree that the Seahawks were better. The Huskies? The Huskies, yes. The Seahawks <laughs> were better than Stanford.
1: <laughs> I will <laughs> definitely
0: say that. And It was That's a 45-24 sweet. loss versus Marcus Mariota and number two Oregon who were headed to the championship game, followed by...
1: That that was game day. I mean, I feel like that's worth mentioning that this was the first time...
0: Yeah, I couldn't look that up.
1: This was the first time that college game day... You know, Husky Stadium had just reopened shortly thereafter, and there was a pretty big game between these two rivals, and the first time in our lives that game day had come to Seattle. So we did a breakfast tailgate. I I think it was the
0: first time, yeah.
1: And for a later game, I remember being there Before a lifetime. And it poured rain. We, they got the full Seattle experience by doing game day that day. Uh, it poured rain the entire time, and we were undercover in Padelford. I remember, and I think we were eating breakfast foods, drinking uh, yep. uh, mimosa, walking over to game day.
0: God, It was a great time. Was I mean, it? Until the game started. <laughs> Alright, that was followed by a 53-24 upset loss at Arizona State when Sark appeared, affected by the heat on oh the my sidelines. Oh god. <laughs> The Huskies bounced back with blowout wins at home over Cal and Colorado by a combined final of 100-24, then lost 41-31 at number 13 UCLA when Miles Jack scored four touchdowns.
1: That was a terrible game. Yeah, that was horrible.
0: That was the peak of Jim Mora. Should be, Jim Mora should be the next coach of the Huskies. Oh, yeah. Really, things went very off for Jim Mora after that. Uh, with Keith Price injured, the Huskies won 69-27 at Oregon State behind 530 <laughs> rushing yards and seven. Who
1: did Couch start out? that game? No, Siler Miles. Oh, Siler started.
0: Huskies led 48-0 at one point. Then they, with Price back, they beat Wazoo 27-17 in the Apple Cup four days before Sark announced his departure for USC.
1: Was this Bishop Sankey was the running back this year? Yes. I'm looking at highlights of the Stanford game. I want to see the... I'm trying to see the catch. There was some sort of horrible turnover that we had in the fourth quarter. I don't specifically remember that. but Oh, Keith Price it's, threw an interception at the goal line. I think it was Scove who picked it off. Is that right? No, that's not Shane Scove. That would have been much later.
0: Uh, AJ Tarpley had the interception for Stanford. But they had their leading oh, top that day it was not Shane
1: sideline. God, Kaysen was good.
0: It was not Shane Scove. It was Patrick Scove.
1: Oh, Patrick Scove. Wait, is that his brother? I think so. Oh, man. Jadon Mickens touchdown? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is this... I need need to watch until I see this. Okay, Price is rolling out. He's pointing down the field. He throws it. That's a catch! Are you kidding me? That is a catch. Oh, my God. Did they review it? Did they review that play and still? Lo- Called it an incomplete pass this is a yeah. sta- this is a stanford focused broadcast i thought uh, it was overturned on replay from what i read oh they called it a catch on the field and then overturned it. it the one the way that they're showing it there's in this clip it's like extremely hard to see but it looks like a catch to me <laughs> obviously because <laughs> it's haunted me for now seven yeah, years
0: don't expect you to see anything else so four days after that on a friday morning the Huskies announce Coach Pete as their new head coach. Here's a clip of that podcast recorded via Skype. Hello
1: and welcome to
0: a special Chris Peterson edition of the Pelton Cast. I'm
1: your co-host, Kevin Pelton. I'm Tristan Carcina, And we have a new head coach of the Washington Huskies. Could not be more excited. Well, I probably could be more excited. <laughs> but Chris Peterson... Signing on with the Huskies this morning, it was great news. I went to sleep last night. This is actually kind of similar to your Coach Circle leaving story. I went to sleep last night, and it was very late. And it seemed like a pretty big limbo for Chris Peterson. There were a lot of reports coming out of Idaho that he was not going to take the job. And then I woke up very early this morning at about 7 a.m. Chris Peterson as the head coach heat up.
0: So obviously that worked out pretty well.
1: Uh huh. Yep, and the Mariners –
0: Worked out equally well.
1: Yeah, with Robinson Cano. <laughs> made every dollar back in that Robinson Cano deal. Well,
0: yeah, you know, the, Mets, the Mets ended up paying a lot of it. Uh, before Coach Pete made his debut on the sidelines, Marcus Tuyasa Sopo coached the Huskies in the Fight Hunger Bowl. As they beat BYU thirty one sixteen 16 with Taysom Hill at quarterback for BYU. Wow. 25 of 48 for 293 yards with 31 carries for 133 yards.
1: I'll pay you that man.
0: It was not as good a season for UW men's basketball, which began their downward trend in the late Lorenzo Romar era. The Huskies lost both Terrence Ross and Tony Roden to the first round of the NBA draft. We were talking about Roden a lot, but like last week, but not about Terrence Ross at all, who. Was the lottery pick, and was like the much better of those two players. Oh,
1: love Terrence Ross too.
0: They lost the Huskies lost their second game at home to Albany, sixty three sixty two. That was that was the first sign something was amiss. Then lost at home to both Colorado Stat- State and Nevada. They actually started Pac twelve play four and zero, but then lost seven of their next day before rallying to finish nine and nine in conference play. They were still sort of on the bubble after beating Wazoo 64-62 in the Pac twelve tournament opener. but lost eighty to seventy seven to Oregon in overtime to get knocked off it. And then in the NIT, played their opening game at BYU, losing seven ninety two seventy nine.
1: Who was on this team? Who were the stars of this team?
0: Well, C J Wilcox was the star uh-uh. of this team. There was there's a lot of solid players. Ab- Abdul Gaddy, Scott Suggs, Aziz Jai were all seniors. And then you had some, you know, the young guys were not really ready to contribute yet in terms of Desmond Simmons. Andrew Andrews was just a redshirt freshman, Sean Kemp Jr.
1: But so th- this was the time period play. where the Huskies losing a couple of basically full classes, partially because they were too good, um, really hurt them, right? Because Adrian Oliver would have been on this team, right? Uh,
0: no, I don't think so. I mean, He would have been gone like, by that point. He was like, 2009 was
1: more than a senior year. Okay, well,
0: never mind. It was more that, like, Ross went out earlier than expected, that sort of thing. Like, I don't think they recruited him, thinking he was going to be a two-year guy. The Sounders reached the semifinals of the CONCACAF Champions League in 2013. They beat Tigres... UANL 3-2 on aggregate in the quarterfinals to set up a matchup with Santos Laguna, losing 2-1 on aggregate to the Liga MX side. Still the deepest CCL run for the Sounders. However, their U.S. Open Cup final streak came to a shocking ending with a 1-0 defeat in the third round at the USL Tampa Bay Rowdies. Wow. The Sounders started MLS play 0-3 and 2, but won four of their next five matches. And then, after days of rumors, introduced Clint Dempsey as their new designated player on August 3rd in the midst of a stretch of eight wins and nine matches from July 28th through September 13th. I can still remember where I was when this Dempsey news came down. I was at that was at Seafair.
1: Really, I can I was remember I was back it was from the time trials. Uh, the, the, this is not to be discussed on a podcast, but it was a very bad day for me.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, The Sounders stumbled down the stretch with a four game losing streak in October, finishing fourth in the West. They beat the Colorado Rapids 2 0 in the knockout round at home before losing 5 3 on aggregate to the rival Portland Timbers in the quarterfinals. The Seattle Storm played the season without both Sue Bird and Lauren Jackson. LJ's career was over, though she didn't know it yet. She just decided to take the 2013 season off after hamstring surgery. Meanwhile, Bird underwent season-ending surgery in the spring to remove a cyst from her right knee. So the expectations were pretty low for the Storm coming off a sub 500 season, but they actually improved to 17 and 17 with Tina Thompson playing the final season of her legendary WNBA career as the team's leading scorer. All five regular starters averaged double figures as the Storm extended their playoff streak to 10 seasons. But they were swept in the first round by the Lynx with Game Two at the Tacoma Dome because Kira in Seattle Center had bet the Storm wouldn't make the playoffs. I'm pretty sure it was Microsoft that's holding a convention wow. there. The Seattle Mariners suffered their fourth consecutive losing season despite a strong 1-2 starting punch of Felix Hernandez and Hashashi Iwakuma, who was an all-star after going 14-6 with a 2.66 ERA, but no other rotation starter had an ERA before, below 4.98, and the offense was typically bad before they added Robinson Cano after the season. Uh, the Blazers started a new era in sort of slow fashion. Damian Lillard, having been drafted the previous summer with that pick they got at the deadline for Gerald Wallace, won Rookie of the Year, averaging 19 points and 6.5 assists per game. But a weak bench and porous defense, the Blazers were 26th in defensive rating, cost them in Terry Stotts's first season in Portland. The Blazers really shut it down after being eliminated from playoff consideration, losing their final 13 games, six of which I attended. Uh, including Kobe Bryant's 47-point game, the game before his Achilles tear that he had in Portland on my birthday.
1: Uh, well, and l- losing those games meant that they were able to get, maybe this is what you're alluding to, meant that they were able to get the draft pick that really carried them through through the next seven years or so.
0: With C.J. McCollum? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they were still 10th. It wasn't like they tanked their way all up to, like, you know, the top three or something, but it did work out well for them.
1: Well, I mean, Uh, obviously, Dame is the one who's carried them through this time period, but, like, having both Dame and CJ together means that, you know, it took a little bit of pressure off Dame. The defenses haven't been able to lock in on him as much as they would otherwise if he didn't have the kind of support.
0: And think if they would have drafted 14th, they would have been stuck with Giannis. (sighs) No, it's mean, it, no no. It, it, not the good, good I'm just I'm just saying I don't know if I don't know that we can point to that losing streak and be like, that saved the team. Uh the Blazers had beaten the Lakers on Halloween in their hope opener. The second game for the this is going to be fun Lakers when Steve Nash suffered a tibial injury that uh, really basically ended his his productive and healthy career. Sadly.
1: That was the Dwight Howard, Steve Nash, Kobe Lakers? Yes, it was. This is going. That was going to be fun.
0: It's the SI cover.
1: Oh my god!
0: <laughs> uh, we all thought so. I think I'm pretty sure I picked them to win the championship.
1: Did they make the playoffs?
0: They did. They were swept by the Spurs.
1: It definitely reeks of like when, <laughs> just any time that there's these quote-unquote super teams that get together. When the Eagles had that super team, right? Um, yes. Oh, my God.
0: All right. Should we talk about the year in music? Because it was a year. It really
1: was. Man, I, I keep thinking as we get later on in these years from like, oh, this will be the point that this stuff feels too new to reminisce about. And that's not the case with 2013. I mean, a lot of artists who now are basically the biggest artists on Earth. We're putting out music in 2013, or starting in 2013. In a lot of ways, um, the most important. Yeah, it was just a really
0: interesting moment. It felt like where you've got this new generation coming up, but you know, I mean, not that not that Magna Carta Holy Grail was, but the, the, the older generation is did. This still there. did that
1: come out in 2013? It sure did. We need to talk about that, but <laughs> do, do we? <laughs> yes, we do. Um, the moment that I remember, though from 2013 the most musically there are quite a few was it was saturday night and the song get lucky by daft punk was released on i think it was even just like a little snippet of it i don't even think it was the full song and it was a saturday night and i sat and listened to that song for literally three straight hours i remember i was doing i was like doing pilates on my floor I watched. I think they premiered it during an episode of SNL, and like correct. it played through there, and it immediately was on YouTube, and people had looped it so it'd play for however many hours. And I listened. Wait, wait to it. what did you say you were doing? I did. I did Pilates. I, I'm telling you, this is a distinct memory I have: being on my floor doing Pilates and listening to "Get Lucky" over and over and over and over again. I heard That's it that day a hundred times.
0: I heard some version that was not right. And I, you were like, have you heard this? It was the most amazing thing. And I'm like, it feels like it keeps building to something, but it never gets there. And then at some point surely thereafter, I heard the correct version. I was like, oh, I get what you're talking about. This is amazing. We talked last week about how, you know, there was a song, an album that I would listen to on repeat when I was writing that year's, in this case, Player Profiles it was no longer a book specifically. And... Random Access Memories was 100% that album in the summer of 2013.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, Daft Punk was a big group before then. Um, they, I had an intern previously who basically paid no attention to electronic music and went to a Daft Punk show that was in Seattle in, like, I don't know, 2009 or something. And he is, like, he probably still is, like, a house DJ. <laughs> it was, like, Daft Punk was a life-changing group at the time. But 2013 was the year that they became Jan knows who Daft Punk is. You know, th- this was when Daft Punk went from being like kind of weird electronic group to being one of the biggest groups in the entire world. Yep. And it was all thanks to one giant hat from Pharrell.
0: <laughs> I mean, what a year for Pharrell. Well, this all in.
1: I mean, should we get into this? I feel like the next year is really the Pharrell moment. But this was Pharrell was everywhere.
0: I mean, it was the next year was the Pharrell solo moment. Yes, but Pharrell was on all of these big songs in 2013. Get lucky, uh, uh, feds watching, and then of course the other song of the summer besides Get Lucky, which is not aged in quite the same way. Blurred
1: lines. Some of us didn't like it at the time, for the record. I, I actually remember I was listening I used to listen to sports radio, and <laughs> I hate to out myself. Um, I remember Elise Woodward was on sport whatever. I was like driving to work one day, and I dropped off Baby Fantasy Genius. And Elise Woodward was talking, and she was talking to people, and she was like, "Have you heard that song by Robin Thicke?" And I was like, "Alan Thick's kid, that guy," because he used. to I mean, I feel like he had
0: already. Didn't he? Hadn't he already done the ads with Paula Patton? What was, it? It was some for some alcohol, right? He
1: he used to go I by that' when I first heard of Robin Thick, and that sounds yeah, that's right. And it was just like he was like a weirdo Canadian pop star who happened to be Alan Thick's kid, and like that's that's basically how we knew him. And I was like, we used to make fun of him when I was in high school, um, in my, in my more hipster circles. And then Elise it was just a Randy Martin ad. They used to
0: play that like during oh, every God. NBA game. Although that might, yeah, no, that was in 2012. So that was before this.
1: And then this fucking song came out, and immediately I was like, first off, it's bad. Second off, I uh, apparently, I mean, culturally, where I was at at the Vera Project was where the rest of the world is in twenty twenty. You know, like the the world has changed in that decade. But the people that I was around all hated the song immediately and understood that it's you know that I it's basically like uh I'm
0: Problematic feels like it's selling it short. Sure. That's yes, the best. I, way to we'll, it.
1: we'll we'll stay there. That it was problematic right and it's not the type of song that it was it was not going to age well
0: and it didn't <sighs> but some other stuff from 2013
1: too. yeah so but Elise woodward that day fucking loved it i remember her talking and i was like okay uh
0: so, Many people did, for, to be clear. Yeah, no, this is. This right that's for the where, song in
1: the that's song. where I heard of the song. This is not to out Elise Woodward or whatever is liking blurred lines, but she just. That was the first time that I ever heard it, was her talking about it. Uh, also in 2013, we have probably what I consider to be the last great Kanye album in Yeezus. This was another one where it was like.
0: You don't think The Life of Pablo? I mean, The Life of Pablo is inconsistent but it's definitely got some great high points
1: but this is the last great kanye west album okay yeezus was the moment where i was just like oh kanye west can do whatever the fuck he wants and there were stories that like rick rubin showed up two weeks before it was supposed to be released or needed to be like turned into the label and kanye had basically nothing done and he just, like, off-the-cuff recorded every lyric to the album. Sort of apocryphal stories about it. But it was, like, almost all of it is amazing. I think I think it was New Slaves, where that summer, every single movie trailer, it was either Macklemore or it was New Slaves. And that was it. <laughs> it was, like, you couldn't release a movie. Michael Bay couldn't go anywhere without a, a film trailer having one of those two songs. And But Blood on the Leaves is, like... If, if we're ranking Kanye songs, it is high, high up there. And it was like Kanye, he went from Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, which is a well thought out masterpiece. It was poured over. He'd spent time on it and then watched The Throne, which is like a little bit more off the cuff to being like, this is Kanye at his most immediate. This is a rap album. This is Kanye talking about real shit, not worried about the thirty seconds of musical arrangement or whatever. Right? He wanted it to hit you in a way that it absolutely did with Jesus, and I think it was it was a surprise release that came out, and it was like it wasn't the three singles and then a record. This was just like here's Jesus. Here it was. I'm gonna listen to it tonight. <laughs> I, I miss this era of
0: Kanye. If <laughs> we all miss this era of Kanye. Almost any other era of Kanye. Although I mean, the last couple of weeks have been better, perhaps. We'll, we'll talk uh, about
1: Life of Pablo when we get there, but...
0: We, are we going to get there? Yeah. What's we're our gonna, plan
1: here? Yeah, we're going to get there. Okay. We're remembering every year. We'll remember 2020. Shit, it's been a weird year. <laughs> remember, we, remember you... January? <laughs>
0: Uh, barely. Should we talk about Kendrick?
1: Most. I remember, I don't think I was on Twitter in 2013. I don't know where I was hearing about this. But, like, the second that control happened, it was all anybody was talking about in the, like, rap internet world. It was like, what just happened?
0: I remember my timeline just being all tweets about control.
1: It was incredible. I mean, like I'm still, I'll listen to it and be like, God damn Kendrick. The, when he's like, I'm the King of New York as a rapper from Compton. That is some real shit. Even in, you know, the climate had changed since the nineties, but like that is Kendrick Lamar being like, nobody can fuck with me. And sometimes it's fun having the best rapper alive being like, I'm the best rapper alive and I'm going to call out by name other artists who I'm competing with, but are not as good as me. You know, like it, it it harkens back to the sort of like old school hip hop mentality of like the battle raps or whatever that I feel like by this time in 2013, wasn't really a thing, you know, like, You talk about just artists would collaborate with each other. There wasn't the animosity that that happened earlier on for better. Right. But having a moment where you have literally indisputably the best rapper alive. Maybe still to this day. Telling every individual one of their peers that they're trying to destroy them is just like. It sounds great. I wish it happened more often.
0: I don't feel like this has had the shelf life necessarily. You would have expected based it's on not, how big it
1: was in the moment. It's not anywhere. You have to go well, to that's, YouTube that's to find true. it. Like that, the, that actually increases the mystique of it though. This was in, in Shay's rap yearbook, right? Cause I know him by name, of course, by first name, of course, uh, um, <laughs> you should, yes. <laughs> in the rap yearbook, control was the song of the year for 2013. It sounds right. Right. Like I, it doesn't have the shelf life cause it wasn't a radio single. It wasn't. It, it's like that actually makes it more impressive than he had the rap yearbook song of the year. And this was n- never serviced to radio. This has not been on DSPs like you have to go to YouTube. And I don't care, about. I don't even know the Big Sean part of the song. For all intents and purposes, it is a Kendrick Lamar song like there's one no. verse that matters on control and it is Kendrick Lamar's verse. I don't think I've ever even listened to the entire song. (laughs) I listened to it this weekend. I've been listening to a lot of Kendrick lately since we talked about him last week. And it was like, I went to YouTube and I listened to this. I listened to the original I that was not on to Pippa Butterfly. And it was like, they sounded incredible.
0: I want to shout out. This actually didn't technically make, because I couldn't clear it, the, the Hall of Fame album by Big Sean. But the song Beware... Definitely a favorite of mine from there with Lil Wayne and Shenea Akow. Should we talk about nothing was the same?
1: Oh man, nothing was the same. <laughs> uh, to me this was the moment that Drake really became it? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it is true. Uh, of Canada, of course. I guess, yeah, Prime Minister, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> uh, D- Drake became the the biggest radio artist. He was, he was the biggest rapper in the world. Kendrick Lamar is the best rapper in the world. Drake became the biggest rapper in the world.
0: I did not remember until I went to go listen to our 2013 music review where we reviewed the Pitchfork Top 10, and we'll talk about that in a second. Hold On, We're Going Home, number one on that list.
1: And, I mean... Deservedly so. Oh, yeah. He made the perfect pop song. Like, he, he really, I guess, that's the thing. He, he was the biggest rapper alive, but Hold On, We're Going Home is not a rap song.
0: Although, funny enough, that was not the uh, song from that album that ended up making my top five songs of the 2010s. What was the one that made it? It was it was The Motion, re- reissued with Care Package. Which you called your least favorite song on that album. At the time? Yeah, in 2013. Really? Drake and uh, Sampha.
1: I called it my least favorite song?
0: Yeah, on that el- album of all
1: time. <laughs> you
0: probably still liked it better than Uh
1: Yeah. Uh, all Me, though. 2 Chains and Big Sean started from the bottom and now we're here. Like, yeah, 305 to my city. The There's so much on this. That's why I could beat Serena when she's playing with her left. Like <laughs> this was it, it's the only Drake album that I've really cared about you know I, I've cared about singles you, or whatever but like you
0: cared about photoshopping yourself into the Views cover
1: oh yeah we all were at the time <laughs> this was the style at the time But, but as far as like a full album it was like oh this is Drake's cool
0: do you have any thoughts on Because
1: of the Internet? I was late to Because of the Internet. Um, I think I mentioned this when we talked about Gambino a couple weeks ago, but it was like after, and this might have been even after, um, oh, my God, a big R&B album that he put out, the next one that made him famous. Uh,
0: Kawhi was the next one, wasn't it? Kawhi? Yeah.
1: No. Me and your mama. Gampito? Redbone. God.
0: That was "Awaken My Love." Yes, that wasn't until 2016, though. Okay. That wasn't the next album.
1: Uh, I never once listened to Qui. That's like. It wasn't until "Awaken My Love" that I went back and listened to, because the internet. Because I'd felt so negative, and that was when I like went through and like watched the video for "Sober" and watched the video for 3005, and I was like, oh actually, these are really good. <laughs> I was like, oh, I actually made a mistake by not being into this way earlier.
0: So this was an era, 2013, when you knew what everything was going to come out still. There weren't these surprise drops. There definitely and were. That, okay.
1: I disagree with that. And that all
0: changed in December, when Beyonce came out of nowhere with <sighs> her self-titled album.
1: Sorry, I'm busy disputing that there weren't self-titled drops, because... Yeezus definitely came out like, well, the promotion and release section of Wikipedia is way longer than I want it to be for
0: Yeezus. (laughs) 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 On May 1st, West used Twitter to post a single message reading June 18th, leading several media outlets to speculate that the post referred to the release date of West's upcoming album. On May 17th, he began promotion of the album. This does not sound... No, it, just dropped it, out of it, it nowhere. wasn't
1: as as surprise as the Beyonce. Like people, Beyonce people thought like that only was... surprise releases music.
0: Yes, that's true. Uh,
1: the Yeezus tour. When did that did that happen in two thousand thirteen? Yes. Okay, so me it
0: was after the Arizona State game, I'm pretty sure that I was babysitting Fantasy Genius during baby Fantasy Genius during. Uh, while well, you guys were at that show, which went so fucking late.
1: Me and Mrs. Fantasy Genius, we we got there. Chris was there. I think Chris and Jason. We went and met them at Mod Pizza and hung out at Mod Pizza. And then it was like, okay, we got to get into, this, into the arena. It was at Kiria. And this was the one where Kanye had like a big mountain where people would come down from. I think he wore the mask the entire time. He had like uh, like, metal mask that he wore. Wow, Kendrick actually time. opened the show. Which, if, if you want to, like, Jesus Christ, thinking about that tour. That is pretty wild. Uh, Kendrick opened the show. So this is the second time that I'd seen Kendrick. Kendrick was a big deal, but he wasn't, like... It, it, Kanye was so important in 2013 that it was, like, Kendrick is, like, a cool emerging artist, and it's cool that he's playing these shows, but we just cared so much about Kanye. And then
0: Fun fact, that was the opening show of the tour.
1: Well, yes, because his tour bus was stolen, I believe, beforehand, and that's why he ended up being so late to the show. But it was just, like, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. He probably went on at, like, 11 o'clock. Tons of people had left Key Arena. And Mrs. Fantasy Genius is like, I'm ready to go home. We need to go see our fairly young child. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? He was five months old, if this was November. No, no.
0: No, he was a, a year and five months old.
1: A year and five months old. Okay, so he wasn't that He wasn't that young. Uh, and she was just like, I need to go home. And I was like, we're not leaving. <laughs> I was like, we're not leaving until Kanye is done. And then he played forever. <laughs> it was like Kanye went on for at least two full hours. Can it started with a giant effigy. <laughs> says it started with giant effigy. There was, like, a procession of his backup singers walking down from the mat. I wish I could go back to this moment right now. Honestly, if any moment of 2013, I would go here over the Super Bowl. Because seeing Kanye and well,
0: that... The away the Super Bowl was 2014, so... All right, good. I'll, do, I'll, I'll, I'll
1: go back in time to that for 2014. I'm going back to the and, day of the show.
0: Maybe your fantasy genius is birth. tough break. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I mean, you, Kirk goes through a lot of interceptions for your fantasy
1: team that night. Oh yeah, I should have never started him. Uh, I was ahead of the game starting him. Though uh, that that uses to her though, like, uh, I mean, I've seen Kanye since then a couple of times, and this this was it. Would it might not have been the Pete Kanye show? No. I wow, Kelly is really mad about this. What's your Pete Kanye show? Anything else? Anything else? <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Watch the throne. Do you remember that? it was not fine it was we had to go to Tacoma yeah, it was it's not Kanye's it was fault at, Bumbershoot. at Bumbershoot? Yeah. The I think the best was on the glow in the dark tour when he had you weren't there with us yeah. um, the glow in the dark tour this was the S- sun shades Kanye and he had like a spaceship come out and this planet behind him Yeah, I did. Really good that. no I'm talking about Al wasn't there yeah, that was at, at Key Arena that one was pretty incredible so that oh go in the dark tour yeah yes. that's
0: much too early. There was another Kanye in like 2016 that I had tickets to but then I ended up in Bristol
1: during Oh yeah no that's that's the life of Pablo tour where he had the big yeah. the big floating stage the night that there okay. was um there was I think the second or third presidential debate that night energy was weird
0: That sounds weird.
1: Yeah. There's a presidential debate. Kanye, actually, I think, was tuning in and heard some things he loved. Um, <laughs> he was making some decisions that night.
0: We're not going to get into it right now.
1: Um, but, but no, the the Yeezus into the Yeezus tour. I'm telling you, this was this was Kanye at his peak. He he was just starting to like go, go off the edge a little bit, and it was like it, w- it was still perfect in that moment.
0: Okay, you wanted to talk about Magna Carta Holy Ground?
1: Okay, so I think if I recall correctly, this is the one that was available to T-Mobile users at first, right? And I think it came out on the 4th of July. Am I right about this? Plausibly?
0: Yes, it did come out on the 4th of July. And
1: it was horrible. (laughs) (laughs) It's not great. This actually wasn't the one that I'm thinking of a different... It's still that... God, that Beach Chair album, which I can't even remember what it's called. Beach Chair album? Yeah, his, his, his comeback, the Show Me What You Got record. There's so many times that I'm sure the listener at home is just like so frustrated because I can't remember things. Um, I distinctly remember, I think this happened after this one, too. I might have just been looking to fight. Um Oh, I'm looking at what that stupid record is called. Before Blueprint Three, oh, yeah, American Gangster was good. Kingdom Come. Kingdom Come. Oh God, it's terrible. Wow, that was 2006. I distinctly remember fighting with Katie about it though, because Katie is always Katie loves fighting, and she always if there's like an opinion of an artist that she likes and they do something bad, I'm first in, I'm at the front of the boat to be like this is bad, you know. <laughs> I'm just I, I I refuse to. I've been around people who are like I will like whatever artist, no matter what they do. They'll like Paul Westerberg, no matter what he puts out, no matter how many years it's been since he's released relevant music. I'm not in that boat. Like if Jay Z puts out a bad album, I'm not interested. Kanye's most recent music, literally never heard it. Right? It's like they're artists that I love, but I don't want to hear when they're doing stuff that isn't good. And Katie will always be like, oh, this is good. And then in those moments, I'm like, tell me that you care about these songs. I'll be like, Katie, can you name a song from Magna Carta Holy Grail today? (laughs) You know, like, can you tell me that you actually care about any music on Kingdom Come in 2020?
0: I can name name Magna Carta.
1: (laughs) And then Holy Grail. I think there actually were maybe some successful singles from it. But like, not interested.
0: Especially Tom Ford the, was moderately
1: oh, successful. Yeah, well, it definitely Ford.
0: was not that that successful of an album.
1: That was just for Katie though. Katie will always defend, especially because if somebody else is like, "This is bad," that immediately raises Katie's like. When you say,
0: "When you say somebody else," you mean you? <laughs> okay. Let's go through the top 10, Pitchfork top 10 of 2013 that we talked about on the no. podcast because I want to go through this. Uh, number 10 is Play by Play by Autry Nouveau. Wow. Number 9 was Dreamhouse by Def Heaven. Wow. Number 8 was Get Lucky. Number 7, Latch by Disclosure featuring Sam Smith. Number 6, The Wire by Haim. Number 5, The entire reason you wanted me to talk about the Pitchfork top 10. Body, Body Party, Party by Ciara the number one all time song of third Belton brother Natalie Wider really and it yielded this clip
1: okay next we have Ciara with Body Party <laughs> and why, why did you want me to talk about this <laughs> I just wanted to hear you talking about how sexy this song is
0: I mean you can't really say anything else about this song I mean it it clearly is undeniable. <laughs>
1: it clearly is what
0: it's undeniably sexy <laughs> that's what i wanted to hear so there you go at that point sierra was just like hey famous singer sierra we didn't have the personal she was not the first lady of the seahawks pretty incredible is russell wilson's wife so a lot has changed in the last seven years
1: yes as it always does i mean but also i mean beyond that this year like Modern Vampires of the City. I think one of my hey, wait, top songs. Are we have, finish going oh, through oh, the top okay, ten? You have, you
0: have more, okay. Number four was Reflector by Arcade Fire. That's one of the albums we I haven't really talked about was so far.
1: Number four on the Pitchfork Top Songs.
0: Wow. I was pretty shocked. It's not even my favorite song off that album. Uh, number three, Hannah Hunt by Vampire yeah. Weekend. Yep. Uh, modern Vampires of the City. Number two was New Slaves. And number one, Hold on, We're Going Home.
1: But but just in general, the year, I'm really shocked about Reflector. I don't remember that being actually that well received. Um, And this was the end of Arcade Fire being at least, yeah, really. And so, I mean, it's been seven years, so I suppose I can't really keep it that open. But, like, this is the end of them being, like, the critical indie darlings. Um, Vampire Weekend, probably also. In some capacity, but I mean, talking about, like, having... Vampire well,
0: Weekend, their most recent album was pretty well-received, wasn't it? <laughs>
1: not, not in the way that... No. I mean, this was the... But also, it was indie all...
0: rock, is it the same
1: thing it was in 2013? It, well, it was also on, on, on a major label. Uh, we've talked about the, basically, like, the beginning of indie rock being a big genre, and I think 2013 might be the last year that it held on.
0: I mean, you do have, in addition to what we've talked about, a na- an album by The National that was pretty big. But yeah, this is the Arctic Monkeys. But it's it's definitely the, the tail end. I,
1: I, I think this is maybe the last year of the golden age of indie rock. And it's like the artists who were. Indie artists, you know, artists like Haim, right? Like all of a sudden they're releasing music on major labels, you know? Yeah. And and it's becoming, it just has gotten like a little bit bigger. Um, So I think that, you know, and you have like Arctic Monkeys being a major label release. Like this is, I'm not saying that this is the end of rock music, but clearly, you know, you had Disclosure in the top 10. Right? And it's like that is the direction that sort of non hip hop music is going. Yes. And and it's not indie rock, it's definitely moving electronic music. Uh so Lord also (laughs) Yeah. Uh I remember hearing Royals, I think this was on Kiss one oh six, and my friend was with me in the car and she was like Oh Lord, this person's going to be playing at Decibel Festival, uh, which was an electronic festival that happened in Seattle for a couple of years in the uh, around the t- early 2010s, which seemed like a crazy thing at the time. But she was like, "Oh yes, yeah, it's this, like 16 year old from New Zealand who's doing really well." And the speed that Lord took off with as a major artist was pretty incredible.
0: It was yes.
1: Uh, and I think, I'm, I'm a noted uh, Lord follow-up record hater, but Pure Heroine, pretty pretty solid, top to bottom. And as far as like radio pop music, definitely changed, paved the way for artists like Billie Eilish that are doing very interesting radio pop music. Yeah.
0: You also have Ariana Grande's first album with yours, Truly.
1: I'm pretty yeah, sure that's probably, a Drake album.
0: <laughs> uh, Drake also released an album called Doris, like your old sweatshirt, but it's all about Doris Burke.
1: Nah. <laughs> yeah.
0: there's just a lot going on musically in 2013.
1: No, this was a big year. I mean, for us to start the podcast like that, that Pitchfork top ten really kind of covers the gamut. Altre uh, Nouveau. Uh, lost to the sands of time, sadly.
0: Yeah, yeah, I had forgotten that one.
1: I had I had you, one very fun night watching them at South by Southwest. I
0: I would say if we're ready to transition, it was a much bigger year for music
1: 2013 than it was for TV. Yeah, kind of crazy how bad of it this this was. I guess we were in the golden age of television, but there was maybe an in between where there was like. There was the golden age of television that happened on uh, cable TV. Yeah, but it was before it happened on streaming services, before Netflix. I mean, so you have well, this was. I mean,
0: Orange is the New Black debuts in 2013. So, like Netflix is starting to create a new series, but it's not really a big force yet.
1: Yeah, so this is definitely paving the way for... This is the first year that I think we really understood. It was probably the first year where I had Netflix as a streaming app, rather than getting discs from them. I'm sure I was still getting discs from Netflix in 2013, but I I think I probably started focusing on the streaming aspect of it a little bit more around this time period. Uh, And like I remember watching House of Cards on Netflix, and I remember watching the first season of Orange is the New Black. But it definitely was like this is where things are changing you know everybody has access to relatively high speed internet people are starting to have it on their phones really often um and so it's making it quite a bit easier to have these shows become major major shows you know the ipad had been around like most people have access to stream something somewhere right they're not watching tv explicitly on their television by 2013 and I think that's what really gives way to the rise of places like Netflix as powerhouses in the TV world.
0: On the network front, we had Brooklyn Nine-Nine debuting, a series that has been one of my favorites because it's, you know, thoughtful and sweet, even though it deals, you know, with difficult topics. I'm not sure what the place is for Brooklyn Nine-Nine in a modern world that is... I think it got canceled today. ...rapidly changed our relationship. Did it? <laughs> no, no. Just
1: cop, no. cops got canceled today. Cops yes they canceled.
0: I mean, like Brooklyn Nine Nine has taken on the issue of of racial profiling. You know, it's it's not something that it's steered away from. I'm just not sure how you handle it now. No,
1: it it is it still on the air.
0: It, yeah, it would just aired in the spring.
1: There cannot be another season of Brooklyn Nine Nine.
0: It will be interesting to see what they do. All right, movies in two thousand thirteen. You don't
1: want to talk about the two hundred six?
0: Yeah, the two hundred six, which was the the uh, successor. I guess there was the John Report with
1: Bob, was the actual successor yes. to almost live. So there's no Pat 206, Cashman, the new right? Generation. On the the John Report with Bob,
0: I do not think he was a part of that one. This was originally the two hundred six was John Keister and Pat Cashman, and then Chris Cashman.
1: Okay. You know, there have been a lot of times since Almost Live aired that they've tried to figure out, King 5 has tried to figure out a replacement for Almost Live, and it just has never worked. You know, there's something magical about Almost Live itself and the cast. And
0: And the time in Seattle when you had such recognizable, distinct, like, tropes about areas of the city.
1: Yeah, and it just hasn't worked with these skeleton crews that they've tried to do it with after, you know, like, but almost live at the time was developing a lot of national talent from Seattle in comedy. Um, and comedy. It, and it's sad that it has gone away and there hasn't been any sort of replacement. Not that most cities have a local sketch comedy show.
0: Right. <laughs> it was unusual.
1: It's a pretty unique thing, but it also is awesome that we got to grow up in a time period where there was almost live. Cause it's something that to generations after us is going to seem very strange. Yes. As, there was a show that actually pushed Saturday Night Live back a half an hour in this one random city and developed this talent that went on to be part of, you know, major, major TV shows after that.
0: The future generations are also going to be really shocked when we tell them that Monday Night Football was tape delayed here so that we could have the local news.
1: Wait, really? In Seattle? Yeah. When?
0: Throughout the 90s. Really? I don't know exactly when that ended, but for a long period of time. Wow. Uh, The show that you've seen the most that debuted in 2013, of course, was Paw Patrol. (laughs) Is that the show I've seen
1: the most? (laughs) I think so. Uh, I'm a little surprised that it debuted only in 2013. I feel like it's been around forever. Paw Patrol's with us yeah. in our in our souls. Including there there's a Harlan Williams TV show called Puppy Dog Pals. You remember Harlan? No. Is that his
0: name? Oh I mean yes. I mean Yeah he, Yes, I do remember Harlan. He has a I don't remember the show.
1: He has well yeah, it's a children's show. It'd be weird if you knew it. I know Paw Patrol. I know a lot about Paw Patrol. Do you? I know Marshall. <laughs> It's funny because I've seen a lot of people talk about the, the dad parts of the Internet, <clears throat> uh, talk about the Octonauts quite a bit. Which is like, if you want to talk about shows that I've seen the most of. Wow. Uh, Harlan Williams is cousin to a member of the Bare Naked Ladies because all Canadians are related to each other.
0: That checks out. Uh, uh, One NFL was taped delayed from 1970 through 1995 in Seattle and Portland.
1: Wow. 25 years. They should have just invented the internet, because they would have known what was going on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the internet did end it, I assume. Shouts to Starwave.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, Puppy Dog Pals is a direct ripoff of Paw Patrol, and is ri- written, I believe, and directed by Harlan Williams. So, there you go. Well, there you go. Uh,
0: on the movie front, Anchorman 2, The Legend Continues, which... It got shockingly good reviews when I looked at its Wikipedia really? page.
1: Wow, I remember that movie. It terrible.
0: Yeah, we went to go see in the theaters like, right after it opened, and have not really thought about acre Man 2 ever yep. since. Mm-hmm. Correct. Uh, anything else you want to touch on in 2013 film?
1: I don't know. I mean, Wolf of Wall Street. Was a very fun film. This was, we are nearing the McConaughey moment, right?
0: Like, uh, this is the reconnaissance. Dallas Buyers Club came out in 2013. Also 2013. Okay. So, there, there, I mean, first off, the reconnaissance really started with Magic Mike,
1: but I, I think there was a moment, we might still be in this moment. No, we're not. There was a moment where Matthew McConaughey was the coolest person on earth. He was both the best actor on earth and the coolest person on earth, because you—he <sighs> he just Surprise, surprisingly,
0: his Wikipedia does not refer to the McConaughey. Wow, Wait, Matthew McConaughey was in Angels in the Outfield. I didn't remember
1: that. Not really, I saw Matthew McConaughey the other day uh, driving up and delivering stuff to like medical supplies somewhere in Texas, and I was just like, God, Matthew McConaughey. Everything you do is cool. Still to this day.
0: Out. He played an outfielder for the Angels.
1: Really? Yeah. Uh, but his moment in The Wolf of Wall Street is like, I mean, he's in the movie for five minutes to- total, and it's just like, he's the best part of the movie. That's
0: angels in the NFL has a st- shockingly strong cast. Adrian Brody played one of the Angels players. <laughs> Dermot Mulroney was in a bit part. <laughs> really going deep.
1: Uh-huh. Uh, Denzel was one of the Angels.
0: Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh. But then 2013, from I mean, a he did two films. One, he won, I believe, Best Actor for Dallas Fires Club. And then also Wolf of Wall Street, like that is a 2013. If you're gonna do one,
0: yeah, yeah, it is. All right, anything else on
1: 2013? Oh man, great year, last great year, honestly. If we're <laughs> if, we're, uh, if we're being honest here, I mean,
0: 2014 was actually when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl. It was a pretty good year. <laughs> have got some questions about the 2014 season, the end of the 2014 season, but the year 2014 was pretty good. Yeah, I, I,
1: 2014, if I'm going back in time, I'm going back... That's that's a new segment. Um, I, I'm going back in time in 2013 to the Kanye show. I'm going back in time in 2014 to the Super Bowl. Uh, and 2015,
0: TBD? <laughs> We'll find out, I guess. That's that's the fun of
1: this. 10-2021, when do we remember that year.
0: <laughs> I'm happy <laughs> to go ahead. On that note...
1: Thanks for listening.
0: Thanks.